Coming up, we'll discuss Hong Kong Disneyland's new cast benefits, break down the latest GDP data, and discuss why Meta's profit is down 36%. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the Haunted Attraction Network podcast, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. On Mondays, we air our Green Tagged theme park in 30 segments. In Green Tagged, we take the top theme park news from each week and discuss the takeaways for you. If you want to read more about any of these stories we're talking about today, the links are in the show notes. And with that, let's get on with the show. From our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, this is Green Tagged, Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. And today, we're going to start off with some news from the cruising area, which is something that uh, Scott uh, just came back from a cruise. And the CDC has ended their COVID-19 program for cruise ships. On Monday, the CDC announced that the COVID-19 program for cruise ships is no longer in effect. The program has been in effect for ship sailing in the United States since October of 2020. It's been a little bit, almost two years. So having just come back from a cruise ship, Scott, what do you think? Well, I will say, first of all, when you said, you know, in a cruising area, I got a little concerned there. I wasn't sure where you were going, but now I understand. So uh, I'm, I'm good. I just want to clarify. A little nervous. Uh, but anyway, uh, yes, you are. You are Not that kind of show. I did. I did just come back. I did just come back from um, from a cruise. I was on uh, the, the Carnival Mardi Gras, and um, you know, for those of you who are not aware, the 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 COVID nineteen um, program or or restrictions were uh, you had to be vaccinated, and if you weren't vaccinated, there were a whole bunch of other things that you had to do um, in order to remain safe. But you had to be you had to be vaccinated, and then you had to show uh, a negative um, COVID test that was either proctored by a physician or proctored online. Um, within 48 to 72 hours, depending on what your vaccination status was. Um, masks were required in all indoor spaces, um, although I will be honest, they were not necessarily enforcing that 100%, but they, there were plenty, there's plenty of signage um, out there. And uh, so I think it's interesting because it, the, the cruise industry obviously was hit very hard by COVID um, mm-hmm. and they, they, they shut down, they shut down for a while. And it's not like every other attraction or a theme park where you shut down, because if you shut down a cruise ship, you still have to maintain the ship. So you still have to keep a, a, a skeleton crew on the, on the ship. You still have to keep the ship running. You, there, there's a lot of things that, that continue to basically suck money out of the company um, during a shutdown. So I think that, in my opinion, the CDC uh, regulations and restrictions were a way to ease people back into cruising, get them back into um, the, the cruise mentality. I will say what would have worked better for me as an individual was better training of their staff and getting their staffing up to speed. So I'm not sure that this is the, the lifting of these restrictions is really going to help them very much. Um, obviously, the, the CDC can't either can't prove that it's making a difference or um, the only way they can prove it is if they get rid of them and things get worse. So I, I don't I don't know. I don't know why now was the time that they chose to do it. Um, interestingly enough, I do have another cruise scheduled for January of next year. So we'll see what has happened between now and then. Um, but I can't, mm-hmm. well, what I can say is I think the biggest hit that the cruise industry took um, was not necessarily the uh, the restrictions that they placed on passengers, but on the uh, amount and the training of staff. 
So mm -hmm. I, I think that um, this is going to this is going to affect the cruise experience less than I think they're anticipating, um, at least from my perspective. You know, I don't yeah. know. Uh, do you think it's too early to do this, Philip? I think that is the question, right? I think. Well, I know you are you are more yeah. you are far more concerned, and of course, being in California, California has held on to um, these regulations and restrictions significantly longer, certainly than Florida, which is where I'm based. So that's why I'm asking you, as as someone who is um, surrounded by more regulation and and more um, precaution. Yeah, to me, I actually think this signals them kind of going more in line with what we're seeing other places, like basically leaving it up to the individual companies to decide how they want to do it, which is kind of where we are, I think, in, in most other situations, you know, and as an, I also think I, I've heard a lot of, I also think, you know, if, if it's still possible for, even with the restrictions, it would still have been possible for someone to spread the virus on the ship because, you know, there's, there's time between when you get the test and when you board the ship. So it's, it's not like it was a foolproof plan Absolutely anyway. Absolutely not. Uh, yeah. The cruise lines were still reporting that there were, were COVID cases. Super spreaders like yeah. every time. Yeah. 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 Almost every so, time. And, and let's face it, you cannot eat through a mask. So when you're in the right. dining room, yeah. uh, you mm -hmm. obviously are not wearing masks. And if you're in a dining room that has a buffet, people don't always necessarily put their masks back on to get up from the table to go get more food. Um, yeah. I will say some of the things that they that they were very good about is there were plenty of hand sanitizer stations everywhere in the ship, which there normally are. Uh, you know, if you think about it, a ship is is a microcosm. You know, you, mm -hmm. it, it's its own it's its own little bubble, which is either good or bad depending on whether something is spreading or not. So I I, I understand why they implemented them, um, but I'm still for me the jury is still out as to whether it was whether they're lifting them too soon. Um, yeah. or not again, we'll see. I go ahead. Yeah. I, I was gonna say, I, I, I think, uh, in, 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 I think if you take it in context of, of the norm, I don't think it's too soon mm -hmm. because every other experience, you know, I, I was just going to say, I, this past, that's last weekend went to San, San Diego comic con and I had, I had previously went to anime expo, right. And it's like anime expo, way more people in the physical building with you without mass at all. That was even for me, and, and I, I, I'm, I've been back at, you know, 2020, I was, I was trying to do Halloween. <laughs> like, as you remember there, you know, I was still like, oh. So I have been around crowds almost the entire time. Even for me, that was a little, it was a lot. It was, imagine, it, you know, the, the building itself, the convention center itself was at capacity several times. And can you just imagine capacity of a national convention center being reached with nobody with their masks on and just, you, know, you couldn't even walk. You, it was just, you were just stuck. You had to just like, it's like fish just kind of going with the flow and you can't really change directions or stop or move. Um, it was that bad. Then San Diego Comic-Con, on the other hand, they internally decided to require people to have proof of vaccination on their health pass and to wear masks, you know, in at all times when they were indoors. And then of course the cosplayers didn't want to do that and they didn't and no one stopped them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but there was a much less people because, you know, San Diego Comic-Con, there's activations all around the city. So it's, 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 it's really, there's a lot more outside and all around and other people bring it in. So there's a lot less people in the physical convention center, like shoulder to shoulder with you. Mm -hmm. And, and they all had masks on. So it was very, but you know, again, it's down to the brands to kind of decide based on their fan base. And we've talked about this for a long time that it was eventually it's going to 
land back on the attractions to decide. And the one thing that I want to make sure everybody understands, um, uh, because this has become certainly an issue here in Florida, and I don't know whether it's the rest of the country or the rest of the world or not, but uh, there is, uh, what we need to get over is the concept of mask shaming, uh, one way or the other. Because if people choose to wear a mask, uh, they should not be looked at as though they're some nut job that is is paranoid about everything. And if someone chooses not to wear a mask, they should not be looked at as some nut job who doesn't really care. You know, I, I think um, I, this was explained. I'm I'm part of a um, a fringe festival here in Tampa, and the producer of the fringe festival, she said, "I'm vaccinated. Uh, I'm double boosted. I'm wearing a mask to show a solidarity for those people who wish to wear masks. I want to make it." okay. If you choose to wear a mask, it's okay. And it was interesting because I had a discussion with her and um, I said, you know, the one thing about wearing masks, since I travel so much, um, the one thing about wearing masks that I've liked is I haven't gotten sick from other things. You know, um, I I have not, knock wood, I have not, uh, to my knowledge, had COVID. I may have had something early on, but I've not, let me put it this way, I've never tested positive um, for COVID. And, uh, and, but I also haven't gotten sick. I haven't gotten a cold. I haven't gotten, my allergies are better. I haven't. So I may continue to wear a mask when I fly just because it protects me from a bunch of other garbage that I don't really want in my life. And, um, it's taken something that was potentially life-threatening to, to get me into that mindset and, and make me realize, oh, it's okay to do this. It's all right. Yeah. You know, and I think this is something that we saw, you know, after SARS. I think it's something we saw in China after SARS is more and more people just got in the habit of wearing masks. They realized, you know what, this protects me in many different ways. Um, I'm just going to keep doing it. Uh, yeah. So, again, I, I'm curious to see I'm curious to see if the CDC lifting uh, the cruise regulations is going to impact the, the cruise lines one way or the other. Um, at the same time, I think if individuals decide to wear masks, we should support that right for them to wear masks or not to wear masks and just take responsibility for ourselves. If you are concerned about someone who's not wearing a mask, do your darndest to create some distance between you and them. And that may mean that you walk, you know, to the side of the sidewalk or it may mean mm-hmm. that you, mm-hmm. you know, I, yeah. I've been, I've been shopping, for example, where I'm, I'm wearing a mask. Someone isn't. And, uh, and, and again, in Florida, I'm one of the eight people in the entire state who's still wearing a mask from time to time. Yeah. Um, so, and that includes our governor. So, yeah. Uh, but anyway, th- there are times in stores that I will actually, you know, just hold back and let somebody walk in front of me just to maintain a little bit more, you know, six feet ish distance if I can. But I think everyone needs to have the right to wear or not wear masks. And again, whether it's up to the individual uh, companies or it's up to the individual people. Uh, I think that we need to stop mask shaming one way or the other and just just be smart and try to be safe. Yeah, I think that that's a great point and especially relates to our next story because in it, you, can al- you can also take that as making sure that your employees feel yep. safe and, and that you're not mass yeah. shaming your employees from leadership or internal. You know, you, that, that's, that's kind of critical. Our next story also has to do with benefits and, and thinking of your team members. Uh, because Hong Kong Disneyland Resort has enhanced their cast benefits. Starting this month, its five-day parental leave will be stepped up substantially to three weeks, so from five days to three weeks, and extends to cast members with adopted children and stepchildren. On top of that, an additional three-week child bonding leave helps parents build a close relationship with their new kids under the age of 18 
who joined the family. So it's not just new children that you've had, but it's like a new adopted children and whatnot. Furthermore, two extra days off or power up days are available this year to cast members who recharge and relax to promote their well-being. All these holidays are fully paid and are applicable to both frontline and backline office cast members. Well, it's clear that, that Hong Kong Disneyland is doubling down on family, um, which mm -hmm. I think is great. Uh, I think they're, they're encouraging people you know, with children to take the time to be with children. Uh, my guess is this, and I don't, I don't have the data on this, but my guess is this is probably something that came from uh, internal uh, interviews and, and data, because to be honest, anything with the Disney name doesn't do anything that's not based on that kind of data. Um, yeah. So I don't, I cannot prove that one way or the other, but I would assume that, you know, family time has become a, a big issue. Um, I think that I love the idea of the power up days. I think that I love those too. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. The, the positioning of this time off is, is smart. I think it's, they're positioning it in such a way that it's, it's showing that we care about you as a human being, not just as an employee. Yeah. Um, the only thing I would wonder, and this probably won't happen in Hong Kong, but the, the one thing I would wonder if this were to come up in the United States is if somebody who didn't have children would push back. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And say, yeah, so actually bonding day, yeah. you know, I want to, I want to bond mm -hmm. with my puppy. Um, yeah. I would say there's actually, there's, there's a few levels to read this on the, the first level is of course, we talked about it previously is the concept of making kind of those, those walls, barriers to entry higher, like the walls higher, like this is a lot of investment in, a big benefit, which smaller companies might have a hard time matching. So it's a competitive kind of thing. And it's just something to be aware of as the trend of how much you need to offer to be competitive for staffing. And the other way to read this on is something you hinted at, which is, you know, China is very concerned overall. I mean, there's this whole thing about how much influence you know, mainland has with Hong Kong. That's a whole separate thing, which is another layer to read on, but kind of another layer down that is that China is very concerned with their population growth and with kind of encouraging families to have children and to be able to do that. So that's, that's another layer of this is it's, it's a little bit of like a, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a mix of competition and data, but also kind of in keeping in line with politically what is expected of mm -hmm. companies that want to operate there, which is to make sure that you are encouraging families to have children and to be able to do that. And again, to your, to your point, that's like, um, what type of benefits do you have if you are not in that space where you're not actively having children or your kids are over 18 already? You know, what, what do you, what do you get? You essentially get just the power up days, which is kind of a, you know, a little bit unfair. So to kind of take that all the way that it will, that's, that's kind of like a, what we try to do with our vacation policy is kind of to try and match this a little bit, but also allow you allow people that that to to convert their stuff. You know, if you mm -hmm. can get paid out for your days, you can convert some of your leave into different types of leave. Where we're trying to be a little bit flexible on that to make it a little bit more fair, um, because not our whole staff. You know, most of our staff does not have um, kids that are that are under eighteen. So it kind of yeah. And, and the thing is, I, I don't misunderstand me. I am not denying that. You know. Uh, having having children and taking the time to to bring them into your home and and recover from uh 
from the birth situation or recover from the adoption situation. Yeah. Um, one is physical, one is both physical and psychological. And but anyway, um, but so I, I, I'm not denying the need for this. I'm not trying to undermine this fact at all. However, you could very easily interpret this as have a kid and get six weeks extra vacation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, people follow incentives, right? So that's kind of yep. the argument with that. But yep. I, I could, well, I could also see, I could also see that this is really, really targeting trying to bring pregnant people, um, yes. families, families expecting yeah. children yeah. into the Disney exactly. world. So, yeah. so interesting. So, well, back in the U.S., we are so we are recording this on Thursday, July twenty eighth, mm -hmm. and the new GDP numbers just came out today, early this morning, and it's not great. It's also not surprising. <laughs> I, I'm going to read some excerpts from the New York Times article on it. A key measure of economic output fell for the second straight quarter, raising fears that the United States should could be entering a recession, or perhaps one has already begun. The GDP adjusted for inflation fell 0.2% in the second quarter, the equivalent of a 0.9% annual rate of decline. Most, econo most economists still don't think the economy meets the formal definition of a recession, which is based on a broader set of indicators, including measures of income, spending, and employment. The GDP data itself will also be revised several times in the months ahead. So I do want to kind of underline that because we I kind of we kind of knew or I think most people suspected it was going to be a sustained dip. But to underline that last piece there about how the the broader piece, you know, the jobs rate, you know, the kind of the, the jobs numbers are still very high. There's still a lot of jobs, a lot of people getting jobs, a lot of jobs being created. There's obviously there's still demand for stuff. And especially in our sector, we've been talking about this agnosium. Like it's not like suddenly hiring has become easier and suddenly there's enough employees. And suddenly, I mean, we're still definitely struggling to fill demand and struggling to fill all these things. And I think as we talked about also that pieces of this are going to be uneven, right? So some of the places that are struggling are some of the e-commerce places and some of the online ones and some of the, the tech firms, crypto, that type of stuff, stuff where it's not our industry. Like it's not, it's like, if you think about it, like, well, when people were sitting at home had nothing to do, then they were doing a lot of online shopping and they were looking at online forms. And now that they want to go out and do things, they want to go out to theme parks and to physical experiences. So where we seeing demand so strong is in our space, despite the fact that overall there has been some shrinkage, it's still strong where we are. And it's just less so in e-commerce and less so in those types of spaces. Um, so I'm not really surprised or panicked by this. Scott, what do you think? Well, and again, we've you've heard us mention this uh, several times on this show, and then you've also seen other um, stories regarding it. Anytime there is a flow, there will be an ebb. So, mm -hmm. you know, especially uh, to, to your point, Philip, in the in our realm, in the realm of attractions and and theme parks, et cetera, et cetera, uh, we're seeing we, we've seen a boon. I mean, we've seen people wanting to get outside and wanting to get out there, and this is this is potentially the beginning of that ebb. Um, yeah. I also think that. <clears throat> there's a, a challenge that we have certainly in the United States, and that is people's whole mindset towards work. And this kind of ties into the Hong Kong story as well. People's whole work-life balance mentality changed significantly over the the 18 months to two years that 
that so many things shut down and so many of us spent time at home. We've recognized that we want to spend time at home. Um, higher paying jobs are at the moment not necessarily what we want. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think that uh, I think that we're gonna we're gonna see we're gonna see there's gonna be a uh, another shift that I think we need to be prepared for, and I, I think we're that shift won't come until in my opinion, and again, I am not an economist, nor am I an expert in this field, but in my opinion, that shift won't come until all of a sudden people go, wait a minute, you know, I'm not able to get as much as I used to. Well, that's because you're not working as hard. That's because you're not working as much. Um, it's, it's a, it's a simple, there's, it, we're working in a finite, you know, a finite environment here. And so when one thing goes up, something has to go down and vice versa. Um, you know, we've got, we've got prices, although I don't know whether it's true around the rest of the, the country, but certainly here in Florida, um, gas prices have finally started to come down. Yeah. You know, it's, so we'll, we'll see, we'll see what this, I'm not looking at this and saying, oh, we're, the, the sky is falling. Um, yeah. I'm looking right. at this and I'm saying, this is just one step towards equalization. I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's truly going to be a recession. And as the economists say, you know, this is a much more complex, much more complex uh, story than than we want to make it here. But once again, I think all too often we try to uh, simplify things uh, to the point where we can yeah. either raise raise eyebrows to to make news sexier or more interesting, um, yes. or we want to use data to to condemn somebody we don't agree with or whatever. I think this is this much of a much, much larger picture. And uh, so it's nothing to worry about. But I do think it's, at least in, in our industry, it's the first step towards that, uh, that uh, finding that neutral spot again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, it, when you, I agree 100% with that kind of like the neutral spot. And that that is kind of needed. Also, that that's the other thing is, is mm -hmm. we need to get back to that kind of equilibrium. It's good for everybody. Um, I, I, so I, I definitely think when <laughs> there's going to be a lot of stories coming out about the recession and blah, blah, blah. Cause to your point, like mainstream likes to essentialize things and they like to, you know, pull this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. They, they, you know, so I would say for our listeners, I definitely, I'm not panicking. I've talked to my team about it. I'm not panicking. I'm not telling them to panic. I think that it's going to, everything is, is kind of going according to plan or according to what we have projected and, and what other other people much smarter than us IAPA and 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 the other reports are projected which is you know there's going to be a kind of a sustained demand through this holiday season and what we're hearing even from stories of individuals is they are making decisions to you know not get their extra Starbucks or not buy this extra thing on Amazon because they want to do a vacation you know that so people are making decisions because they haven't been able to do things to do tourism and they're trying to sacrificing some stuff over that. So there's going to be sustained demand. And then there is going to be that ebb after this season where people have got that out of the system and they're ebbing a little bit. That's what we're seeing. That, that's that been where we are. And this is all tracking with that, the little bit of an ebb that's going to come. And then uh, at the same time, we've talked about that, about staying competitive through this, mm -hmm. you know, making sure that you can successfully ride this wave with your staffing and your offerings, but then understanding that you're going to need to make reinvestment in your show properties. Like it's not going to stay this way forever is the point here. And that you need to be prepared with reinvestment to be able to incentivize people to come back after this. Once things start to ebb, people will need to be convinced to come back to the attraction. And that's, that's where, again, we're seeing 
you know, Disney's always ahead of the curve. If you look at their offerings that they've been doing, right, overcharging for less experiences, and now they're saying, oh, we're bringing back our parties, we're bringing back these things, and we're bringing back all of what you had previously. They're stepping up their entertainment offerings, and then they're getting ready at D23 Expo to announce a lot of park additions and renovations that'll be opening. Oh, when? Oh, next year. <laughs> that you kind of opening up. So it's kind of like looking at this and understanding that. Um, the only other thing I will say is the larger companies, I'm sure, are panicking a little bit more. And that's because they're more global companies or they're or if they are public companies, because that's always, you know, because the stock market and and investors always panic about these types of numbers. So but the independence, I would say, you shouldn't be panicking if you are not a public company. <laughs> and and basically, to help you know play the long game. That's really the that's yeah. really the the message here is play the long game. Recognize that it is a fluid state of of uh, income revenue. Uh, so yeah. so play the long game. And I truly, truly, truly believe that by creating an environment that people want to come back to is the best form of marketing that will sustain you when things get rough and will help you maintain a level head when things are just, when you've got more guests than you know what to do with. So yeah. uh, keep working on the guest experience, uh, build those relationships with your guests so that when the time ebbs, it's not that they're like, well, things are a little tighter now, but you know, we really had so much fun when we were at XYZ yeah. Park. Um, take this time to build those relationships because that's hard to do when you've got too many guests and not enough staff. So, yeah. so keep that relationship building going because I think what that will do is help um, sort of normalize the normalization process, if that makes any sense at all. It will, it will make it so that guests have um, a commitment to your brand and not just a commitment to the money in their pockets. And our, our probably last story here, maybe next to last, is to do with the the marketing that Scott mentioned mm -hmm. there about, about that whole atmosphere. So this week, Meta had reported their first revenue decline and a 36% profit drop. And that was just on Wednesday, so just yesterday. Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook, reported a 1% decline in quarterly revenue from the previous year. It was the first time the social media giant's revenue had fallen since it went public a decade ago. Mark Zuckerberg stated, we seem to have entered an economic downturn that will be have a broad impact on the digital advertising business. The situation seems worse than it did a quarter ago. Google, Twitter, and Snap, who also rely heavily on online advertising, have also said that this month they experienced reduced demand for advertising because of the slowing global economy. Some of the companies cited the effects of the war in Ukraine and its destabilizing effect on the European ad market, as well as the strength of the US dollar, which has hurt companies when it comes to global sales. That pain is unlikely to end soon. For the current quarter, Meta said it expected a continuation of the weak advertising demand environment. E-commerce ads were waning as peak pandemic had passed and people ventured outside, the company said, adding that tough periods like these were cyclical historically. So kind of just, in essence, summarizing exactly what we said. And what I always look at, too, when you're looking at these is advertising is is kind of like the the tip of the spear when it comes to this whole thing. Because what companies spent on advertising is a great indicator of how much if they need to advertise right so like how much they need the business and how much they think how much kind of um how optimistic they are for the future because you don't advertise if you're not optimistic you know you kind of like you know the, the the instinct that companies always have is to hold back and so you do see a little bit but i'll highlight on there that 
basically exactly what they're saying. They're saying e-commerce and those types of things are what's down. And I think honestly, it's because look at what we've been talking about. If you if you bring it to our, if you take this and contextualize it in our industry, we talked about this because Oogie Boogie Bash sold out a week after the tickets went on sale. Do you think they were buying e-commerce ads for that? No, because they don't need to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, see, that's the point. I think that's really the interesting point is you will see um, people, you will see companies usually uh, buying ads uh, and especially e-commerce ads if, they're, if one of two things is happening. If either they're very optimistic and they're looking forward or they're panicked. So mm -hmm. to your point, in our industry, people, we're still riding the wave. People are still interested yeah. in coming out. People are still interested in being parts of things. Things are still, you know, live events are still selling incredibly well. Um, yes. Live experiences yeah. are still selling incredibly well. So to your point, Philip, there's absolutely no reason for them to do, to purchase large companies, to purchase e-commerce ads. E-commerce ads to large companies are have traditionally, and I'm not saying this is right, but have traditionally been the, oh crap, we need to do something now. And that's when they make those kinds of purchases. Uh, yeah. They'll 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 plan a strategy that is much more robust long term. But e-commerce ads traditionally, and this is changing, this model is shifting. But uh, traditionally, that has always been the uh, the we've got to do something. Something is wrong. Tickets aren't selling. Blah 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 blah. And if tickets yeah. are selling, then there's no reason to go to that level of of marketing and uh, and and spend the money on it. So this yeah. makes sense. I also want to point out there's something, you know, they even suggested here. It's um, when they say cycl uh, cyclical historically. Cyclical. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is cyclical. And it's cyclical mm -hmm. not only through, um, through time periods, it's also cyclical through popularity. I mean, yeah. you know, I, one word, MySpace. You know, mm -hmm. it, it has uh, it, Facebook which yeah. has now changed. TikTok is eating their lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what's happening. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, uh, Facebook changed its name. So all of a sudden it's something new, but people are smarter than that. Um, so Facebook has had a great long run. I will tell you, I still use Facebook, but I'm old. So I still use Facebook all the time. But I had somebody the other night just yell at me for not um, expanding my TikTok presence. So I'm going yeah, yeah. to do that as well. Probably me. So, yeah. uh, no, it wasn't you. It wasn't you this time. You would have had you been in the conversation, you would have joined in and started beating me with your shoe. But uh, so it's yeah. I think well, it's just important to recognize that. Yeah. The last point I wanted to add is that there's, I think there's an opportunity here as well, uh, hidden in all of this, um, because online advertising and kind of like that whole ad ad spend is down across the board. It's it's not it's down maybe a little bit more with Meta and TikTok is gaining market share, but across the board. And I would say the opportunity. The last point I'll add here: the opportunity does exist. I think because of this for people, attractions, if you are an attraction and you happen to need to sell more tickets because you, you have a new event or you, you have the capacity that you need to fill, you know, if you happen to be in that situation, which is not most people, but if you happen to be, this could be an opportunity for you to capture market share because, uh, because other people don't need to advertise. So there's, there's inventory open essentially that you could try and capture market share in your market potentially. That's just the opportunity I see. Great. Well, I'm glad to hear that you see a silver lining in this and that's that's wonderful. That's that's kind of what we're here for is to help you uh, navigate or at least talk about the challenges that are ahead in your industry. Um, the challenge we have is that we're out of time. So until next week, on behalf of Philip and myself, Scott, uh, we are 
Green Tag Theme Park in 30, and we really appreciate you listening. Thank you so very much, and we will see you again next week. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, Haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.